Welcome to the Full Dive Gaming Podcast, bringing you a full dive of all the news, discussion, and insights you need for virtual reality gaming. Our podcast is brought to you by Asterian Products. You've got to know them by now if you're here with us. They are a top-selling company on Amazon. They make great VR and AR headset accessories. You can see a glowing aura off in my background that they customize specially. They're great. You should go check them out on Amazon. I'm Jay Bratt. I'm a VR YouTuber and streamer. I'm Nat Pratt, a VR enthusiast who is very excited that the rain has come back to Oregon. True. And I'm Lipnox VR, and I review everything Oculus Quest related. <laughs> Definitely true. Well, our podcast is here to keep you up to date in the VR realm. We answer questions from our communities. We talk about the latest, greatest VR news, discuss the games. But this week, I actually got to go down and try the Quest Pro. So at the end of the podcast, we have a little discussion section all about the Quest Pro with some Q&A here. So hang out for that. And of course, if you haven't seen our YouTube, we'll be over there. You'll be able to see some of the clips of me trying the Quest Pro. But if you're busy, you're on the go. We're on every podcast platform for you. Uh, we got all kinds of questions, and we have a really fun one here first. Uh, Lip, <laughs> what what question did Chili's ninety four ask us? So, so they asked us, "Would you ever get an episode interviewing someone involved with the VR film industry?" And they specify not safe for work or not, and uh, you know that's that, that's clearly in there. So, I, I I mean, I don't think I'd be like opposed with that, but I I, I mean, I've definitely on my channel been a little bit hesitant to to get go into that direction of like content with the NSFW <laughs> stuff. Uh, that being said, though, I mean, I've done, I mean, I've de- covered games on the channel that were basically just videos, but uh, I don't know how interested I would be to do that. But I mean, like at the same time, there was that, uh, uh, there was that music video video thing of the mm-hmm. girl who used to be on the podcast with us. So I guess she was kind of in the VR film industry in a way too. So yeah. I mean, yeah. What so do you guys think? Film industry. I feel like I feel like they wanted to ask the question, but didn't quite ask the question. The adult film industry. I think that was kind of the the uh, insinuation here, if you will. So if that was the direct question, I would I would interview a, a director mm-hmm. or a creator or talent. Model. I, <laughs> I, would, I would, I think it, you know, it obviously have to be marked as a explicit episode and all that, but I think it would be interesting if nothing else to hear. Cause it's one of those things about technology mm-hmm. that nobody ever wants to admit that it's a side that helps decide what technology succeeds and what drives it. Mm-hmm. So I think that it would be very interesting on the podcast. I think so too. Let's do it. <laughs> if someone's out there is to... listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be really interesting. Yeah. People would be excited to hear that episode, I'm sure. <laughs> oh gosh. Can imagine <sighs> the the comments already. <laughs> I'm so not even have, going. Uh, I... <laughs> <laughs> just leave it alone. <laughs> oh my gosh. And we have another question here, and this one is also from Chili's94, who has some great questions for us. If you could make your own VR video game, what kind of genre would you make it in and why? Horror, action, comedy, etc. Lipnox, you want to so give for, us your answer first? For, for me, 100%. Uh, I super love these like simulation things that make me feel like in, I'm in like the real world. And it's like even silly things like, oh, you put a TV app so I can sit in a room and watch a virtual TV. Love it. Love it. You know, there's a, there's a you know, part in uh, the Twilight Zone game where you're just in a house chilling and it eventually evolves into something. But I was like, yeah, this is weirdly enough i super enjoy these kinds of things and i remember there was this uh cooking simulator game that i played and it was developer sent it to me and i totally wasn't expecting it i put it on and not thinking oh this is going to be stupid and again i just i love the real life situations but then given the freedom of vr to do what i want in them Mm -hmm. nice uh we had an interesting answer in the discord where play psvr chimed in on this and they said they're really an original free thinker so they would make a wave shooter (laughs) But that got me thinking like we've never seen that before (laughs) that got me thinking, what is it that VR doesn't have yet? You know, I want to make the thing that we don't already have. And kind of to your point, I think I would love to see a game that was just considered like like a real life simulator, like Mm. stats that like to everything you have to do to live (laughs) through and survive every day. And then like just a normal day in the life of a normal person, almost like you get up out of bed VR in the morning, you have to go shower to get your cleanliness stat back up. (laughs) You got to go to work to get your money stat up. I think that would just be kind of fun. But then like a survival game 
but just, but just real, real normal, normal real, life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that'd be really funny. I don't know. Actually, I don't even know if I've seen one in like the actual gaming industry that's like that, but like, you know, some, mm. some surprise bad bill comes in the mail. All of a sudden you're short on money. And if your money runs out, <laughs> then you die. Or if your finger runs out, then oh you die. Gosh. I think that would just be really funny. So that, that being said, there actually is this game on steam called like airplane simulator or something. And you can sketch, you can choose between like a two hour flight or an eight hour flight. It's real time. <laughs> and you literally, the whole game is just you sitting in the seat. You can play with the little like, screen thing and watch little videos and things. Oh and gosh. randomly people come up and talk to you and this and that. And it's, I'm just like, this is the stupidest thing ever. That's hilarious. I bought it. I was like, I want this. <laughs> it's like it's desert bus we are <laughs> just drive it's a not bus even it's not even in vr it's not even in vr so it's just a normal on your screen yes yeah, oh so i feel like vr is a that's little amazing. better of a medium for that though because then you can't escape it you know you can leave yeah. your your screen True. on with your it, stuck in an airplane and walk away but like when it's in vr like desert bus where you're just driving a bus through a desert you have to keep the wheel straight for like eight hours or some crazy amount of time yeah but it, I feel like those oh games are gosh. created for streamers almost like that. What a perfect excuse mm. to like just chat with your stream and hang out while playing a really easy game. I like that. Yeah. So I feel like I would want to make like a really cool fantasy game that has like, I used to be obsessed with unicorns as a kid. So there'd be like unicorns and like, I don't know, other stuff. I'm so creative. I think unicorns. I don't know. Something fantasy with lots of cool, weird things. And maybe you could like create stuff or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel like I have a vision in my head, but it's not fully. <laughs> so you can't put it to but words. That's the kind of, <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of game I would make. Just something weird and magical, mystical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got one other question from Chili's 94 saying, I love how active you all are at addressing these questions for your fans so quickly on the podcast. Of course, I want to say a thank you there because we it's it's really fun, actually, to have the Q&A's. And they said, what advice would you give to listeners that would like to start their own podcast? And I've got to say, when we started the podcast, the Q&A wasn't even a thing. Uh, the, I guess the problem is you kind of have to have a platform to be like, hey, give me questions here so that we can answer them here. So like once we had that community built, then we started doing that. But I feel like with a podcast, it's kind of just like a YouTube channel. The advice I always get people ask me is just do it. Like you can sit around and brainstorm and think and wait, or you can just have a couple of friends over one night, put some mics on you and just discuss something and start it. I think the hardest part of anything is getting it started. And then once you get it started, you'll kind of see, okay, this is what I like to talk about. You'll kind of find your direction as you go. But I don't think you have to have a fully formed, perfect plan for your first podcast. We didn't even actually air the first podcast for a long time because it was like our first attempt was so rough. <laughs> That's like we, we, waited, we waited for episode two to launch the podcast. But I'd say just do it. And could you talk about some of the tools that like we use? Are we allowed to oh, talk yeah. about? I oh, don't yeah. know. Well, for people out, for okay. people out there who don't know how a podcast kind of works, you need to find there, there's more than one way to do this. But the way we do it and the way I'd recommend doing it is you find a hosting site. Uh, we use Captivate.fm. Basically, once you have that set up, all I do is make the episode, publish it there, and they handle distribution. So as long as all the distribution, they send it to Spotify, they send it to iTunes, they send it to Ghana and Podcast Chaser and everything. So that makes your life a lot easier. Obviously, having a one service that just does it all. All you have to do is write one description, one title, you hit bam, and it goes. And, you know, we put ours on YouTube also, but YouTube isn't really our top spot. Actually, the views we get on YouTube are minuscule compared to how many downloads and audio listens we get. So I wouldn't stress yourselves about publishing it to YouTube, too. I would just start the audio side. Just go for that for a while, because honestly, if we only did the audio side, I could turn these episodes around in like five minutes afterwards. It's the video editing that I do for the YouTube videos that takes all the time to get these out. So yeah, those are some of the basics. There's a lot of videos out there on how to get really going. That would be much better than what I can tell you, but at least those are the basics. Yeah. I would, I would just like to throw in cool. too, like, not that I'm the podcast expert, but I think that having the outline of what you're going to do and having it set in segments mm. that you're going to do every single week and be somewhat consistent with is probably going to build a much better situation with your audience members. So they're going to be like, oh, this is the question thing. I can't wait for the question thing. I can't wait for this segment. And then by, you know, the end of the episode, they're walking out of that being like, oh, I really enjoyed that. What's the next one? Mm -hmm. Did yeah. I miss one? You know, that kind yeah. of thing. 
Yeah, I think it's good to have direction. I know not all podcasts do that, but I enjoy that ours, we have some direction. We don't have like a script. We don't have, you say exactly the same. We, we just have an outline that keeps us on track and helps us get through our sections, which I think is smart. But I know that people who listen to podcasts a lot more than I do, some of them are just nonsense and they love those too. So <laughs> I listen to a lot of podcasts and I, I like a little structure. <laughs> yeah, I, I, de- I definitely enjoy the podcast listening. Uh, so we got another question from Assassin32, and they're asking, do you think potential competition from the Pico 4 will push Meta to innovate more than without competition? And if so, what might Meta add to the Quest 3 that we might not have seen otherwise? And uh, I mean, I would say with this 100%, I think that a lot of the new things that Pico 4 is doing are things that are part of the Meta Quest Pro and, you know, color pass through and things like that. And, you know, I... I, I see it as healthy, good competition, but at the same time, uh, I don't really don't really know that Pico and Meta are in the same market to the point where they're really going to be that worried about each other. But if they make if there's another person making headsets to the masses, parts are going to go down. It's going to up the technology. So I, I don't know if it's necessarily competition, but uh, it's definitely going to boost both of the headsets up. Yeah. Yeah, I think that we're going to get a lot heavier into this in the news sections when we talk about the Pico 4. So I'll keep this brief or just the Pico in general. But I think that until Pico launches heavily in the U.S., we're not going to feel the heat on Meta too much because Meta's biggest market is the U.S. They're not, you know. They're not a huge throughout Europe and Asia. They're there and you can get them. And a lot of people have them because it's all they can get. But I don't think that's their main concern at the moment. So if Pico moves in on the US or if Meta tries to take over more of China, then you will see them start to butt heads a bit more. But at this point, they're both kind of seeming to innovate, but stay in the same price range. It doesn't seem like anybody's really trying to undercut the other where maybe Pico's trying to undercut HTC but not so much meta. So I think for a while they're going to coexist until one of them decides to try and take the entire market again. And then things might get interesting. We might see some really low priced headsets again. It's always good for the consumer when there's fierce competition, but I don't know that we're there yet. I agree. <laughs> uh, we'll get into it a bit more in the news, but Nugget Inside had a couple questions. One of which is what VR game has the best storyline? in your opinion. Now, I'm going to I'm going to kind of let everyone go first, but something that I'm interesting cuz I don't know if you've ever played on lip. I feel like I've heard Lone Echo and Asgard's Wrath are like two that are really known for their plus storyline. I haven't actually played either, uh unfortunately, but what do you think, Lip? Is there some storylines in your mind when you think back over your time in VR that really stand out to you? Uh without any doubt, I mean, the number one's going to be uh it's Farpoint, right? The so long. shooter on yeah, the, the PSVR shooter. with yeah, the gun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that one, that one, hundred percent is number one because I literally remember having like a tear in my eye at certain scenes, uh, which in the mm-hmm. headset it was like, okay, this is this is this is hitting it pretty hard for me. But at the, you know, I, I also mm-hmm. got to be perfectly honest, you know, because it's a new thing coming out. Uh, I really liked the story in the Iron Man game, mm-hmm. like the Iron Man VR game. I, I really enjoyed mm-hmm. the story, and then. You know, let's, let's let's be perfectly honest here. We got like Resident Evil Four. It's it's a pretty pretty legit storyline too. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with Firepoint because it te- made me tear up. But I would say that those those are my three. Now, what do you think? What what stands nice. out in your mind? First one that I thought of right away was mm-hmm. Zing the Land Beyond. Um, also a PSVR game. It's uh you know kind of mysterious, but going through um it's. A puzzle game, but the storyline is really cool going through um, and learning about like people of the past and things like that. So that was really cool. I never actually finished that game. Mm-hmm. I'm really bad about finishing games, but um, that one was the first one that I thought of. Farpoint is also really great, although I didn't play a lot of the story <laughs> mode on Farpoint. So. It's funny that you brought that up, Lip, because I Farpoint was one of my top runners, first came to mind. But I know that a lot of people kind of said it was... It was like kind of your basic generic sci-fi plot line. You know, it wasn't the most like it wasn't the most advanced plot line with the most surprises, I guess, is what people kind of said about it. But I think that's a good reminder that even even a storyline that may be a little tired in its own genre in VR, if done right, can be still be very powerful because, yeah, you may have watched sci-fi movies that kind mm-hmm. of follow the same idea, but you've never been in those movies until you yeah. play through Farpoint, yeah. which is huge. And then, of course, mm-hmm. you know, Astrobot Rescue Mission doesn't have the most advanced plot line, but the way I fell in love with the character in it makes me think about like their story yeah. and what's happening as like 
I, I feel protective of that mm-hmm. character, even as weird as that sounds. Like there's this yes. in the opening scene that you so see true. this like space bully attacking the mothership. And I was like, I wanted to like punch that thing in the face and like defend the mothership. And I couldn't do anything, <laughs> but it pulled you in so hard that it it was a big thing. So mm-hmm. all, all great ones. I am curious, obviously, because I don't think we've played Asgard's Wrath, Lone Echo are ones I've heard are really good. Half-Life Alex, of course, if you're into Half-Life lore, is going to be a huge one. Uh, so yeah, there is think, some good storytelling. I think another point too is there's a whole bunch of games that have been, they're flat screen games that have been ported into VR that mm-hmm. are really legit storyline kind of games. Like I'm mm-hmm. thinking Zone of the Enders. I mentioned the Resident Evil 4 mm-hmm. thing, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm, Going back and thinking, oh, you know, there's Hitman. There's like, there's just a whole bunch of oh, things yeah. that they just, there's a generally amazing writing and great voice acting in them. So it's def- definitely a lot out there with good storylines, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's an interesting thing to think about because, you know, with VR, you're not always focusing on the story so much as the experience. And yeah, there's, right. there's a lot. And a lot of them you have to, you have to get through and play the game and really experience it to its ending. Cause sometimes you don't always know until you see the ending of a game. Oh, what was that? Like into the radius is what I'm thinking about. It was very interpretive. And even with the ending, I wouldn't say it had the best storyline, but it's definitely something I'm hoping we'll start to see more involved storylines, even as VR continues to develop more of these games, because there's such there's such great games. Among the sleep, actually, you could play that in VR. I think it might have been a mod or something. But man, that's a game that had a surprise plot line and was terrifying if you tried to play it in a headset. So yeah. It's too many to name, I mm-hmm. guess, but we've given you some good ones out there, at least that we know of. Yeah, I think it's interesting that the the one the games that we first all thought yeah. of were PSVR yeah, they, games. There was a lot more, a lot more plot Very line telling. and story, a lot less experience. They had had its own like, ones that were experiences. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of the biggest, best games that we've played were on PSVR, I guess. Yeah, well, with Quest, I always figured there's more things that are like simple, like mm-hmm. job simulator type of games. Whereas on yeah. PSVR, there was a lot more like this game will take you 20 hours to play kind of games. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's the big, right. biggest distinction <laughs> for me when you compare the for two sure. platforms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love having a a non v non PSVR hater because when we have Adam on, he is I guess he's not super a PSVR. He just hater, never had he definitely one. is a little more. Yeah. Where Rip, who was kind yeah. of a PSVR hater, even He's though a little he had one for a bit. Yeah, he was. Yeah, now we got <laughs> Rip. If you're <laughs> you listening, called out. <laughs> Send us a PSVR hate comment. <laughs> so we've got another question um, from Nugget Inside, um, asking: Is it a good idea if Nintendo drops a VR console, or will this be a big flop? And if it's a good idea, what do they need to do to get high in popularity? <laughs> well, Nugget Inside, I don't know if you know, oh. but Nintendo's already had a very successful <laughs> VR headset that you hold to your face. It's just Nintendo Labo. So perfect. I I will never forget uh Will's I uh, that guy is Will on YouTube has an amazing video. <laughs> That I think it was one of his videos that was uh, April Fools. Yeah, um, April Fools Day. Yeah, he does great April Fools uh, videos, and his was about Nintendo Labo <laughs> being the best VR headset, and it was yeah. so great. Uh, but yeah, that I I would say was a flop. I think some people thought it was cool, but it was you actually held it to your face. It was kind of cool, but it was definitely not. It was definitely more like fun and experimental than like actually a good gaming VR headset. I don't know if Nintendo will really get into the VR realm. And, you know, they actually had, I don't know if it was actually the first VR headset, the Virtual Boy. So they had the Virtual Boy way back in the day. I kind of think that that makes them not want to get back into it because that was also bad because it like made people get horrible headaches and stuff. Um, but I mean, for, I don't know for me, like think. I actually bought, uh, it was like a plastic version of the Labo VR thing mm-hmm. so that I could actually have like head strap and not have to like hold the thing up to my head when mm-hmm. doing it. Uh, I try, I think I had almost <laughs> every game that supported VR for the switch and it was basically like, when you try to watch like YouTube videos in 360 degree on your headset, it was like it was like playing games like that. It was super blurry and super uncomfortable. Uh, so like mm-hmm. in that regard, it was it was like not good. And they did Breath of the Wild, and it's just basically in 3D. It's not even like it's like 3D, but you can sort of look around. And and that was for me. That was just 
It was just oh, weird wow. choices in how they did that. But they did have one game, and it was one that I actually never played. But it was the there was like this creator garage thing where you could make your own games, mm-hmm. and people could make VR games in that. And I did see mm. some people actually made fuck or made a few legitimate mm. fun uh, games that used the Labo, and I. I mean, that was probably the closest thing to an enjoyable VR experience with that. Uh, But I do think that with Nintendo, Mm. they've tried these things before. They tried the Virtual Boy. They tried the 3DS with the 3D. I mean, I liked the 3D, but a lot of people didn't like the 3D part. And then Mm. they did the Wii U thing with the gamepad. And I just feel like unless you're finding a way for that headset to be like a multiplayer experience, uh, I just don't think it's Nintendo's Mm. cup of tea Mm -hmm. right now because it's like, they have great games and they could totally yeah. make great VR games. But you again, you unless you have it on the TV, people can't see what you're seeing. And even if you do, there's just there's so many like you're changing the way the headset feels when you're adjusting all the things. Like that's always the thing where it's like, oh, pass the headset around. It's like, well, everyone has different size head. I'm sitting mm-hmm. here like changing all the things every single time right. I'm passing it around. This is not mm-hmm. this doesn't make sense. And it's like I totally get like it makes sense for Nintendo to do this. But at the same time, it's just it would not it would not be in their interest at all. And I unless they're doing like the spinoff, like one off product, like they did the Mario Kart AR game. I just don't see them doing it. And I just don't think they could release a headset at a price point that would work anyway. Like may, maybe like 20 years in the future, we could maybe. But I, I just don't see it. Yeah, I think that a couple generations down the road, maybe Nintendo will surprise us all and they'll drop some sort of Wii like bomb on the VR industry. Maybe something with like four cheap wired headsets come in one box and you plug them all in at the same time and you all play together. I don't know if Nintendo will do this, but I feel like that would be their way to do it if they ever did. They'd wait till the price came down enough that they could launch some sort of family setup that all worked really cohesively together and you just played Mm -hmm. stuff together locally at home. Maybe they would go that route but i think it'll be a long time before vr is ready for them to come in and change things in such a way yeah yeah nintendo always like they're really innovative and have really interesting things that they do but they're also really focused on family and like you know bringing people together so i think that's why their little vr thing that they did was more about like you know learning and stuff than actually gaming because it seems like they always like to do stuff that involves everyone. So I, I could definitely see in the distant future. Together. Well, we've got some VR news we got to go over with you, of course, because there's a lot happening in the industry. First, we got to say another thank you. Asterian Products has long time been the supporting sponsor of this podcast. You know them thanks to us, but if you don't, Go check them out. They've been running a sale on their Aura and their Vertex. They're at some of the lowest prices they've ever been on Amazon. And it's just good to have a spot where you know your VR headset's always going to go when you're done rather than in the box or on the floor or wherever you put it. It's got a nice glowing Aura stand. You can use code FULLDIVE10 to save another 10% off. So we touched on it earlier in the Q&A, but basically Pico, if anyone out there is like, what? That, that's hard to imagine, but Pico is owned by ByteDance, which owns TikTok. Pico is the biggest, newest name in the VR industry because they're kind of the up-and-comers that are trying to fight with Meta. Well, they have gotten to now announcing they're now Pico 4 Pro, Pico 4 Enterprise headsets. Pico being based out of China, of course, is currently distributing these among Europe and China, but we're not seeing them still in America unless you go through an outside site to try and get one. Now, they're saying they're going to launch their Pico 4 Enterprise, which is going to bring up eye and face tracking. And something the 4 line has already done that's really interesting is they have IPD the IPD settings inside are motorized. So you tell it what to do and it changes. But now if the Pico 4 Enterprise can have eye tracking, it's going to measure your eyes itself and automatically adjust to your eyes. So I think about like for enterprise, especially, but even for home use, this oh, would be amazing. Because cool. when you pass them the headset, you don't have to say, okay, adjust this till it's not blurry or changes. You just hand them the headset and it would just adjust for you. And they've been... ByteDance has said they're going to be subsidizing these headsets. That means they're going to be selling them at a loss to try to keep up with Meta to try and fight with them a little bit more. So we've seen all kinds of prices in the range, but some of their consumer headsets are like around $700, which if a Quest is $500, that's comparable. Uh, We've talked about Pico before, but what do you think, Lip, kind of hearing this stuff? You've been a longtime Quest user. If tomorrow Pico comes to Canada, are you trying to get one? Uh, well, I mean, in, in regards to Pico, I think it looks like a really cool headset and it definitely looks like it's got you know an upgrade, but I just don't see 
did to me to me it's like back in back in like the the old generation of like consoles i remember there being one generation where the ps2 just dominated everything and then you had you know the gamecube and the xbox just sort of lingering on the sides and in the console world every single time the underdog tries harder every single time the underdog tries harder but in this situation pico is not they just they do not have the funding they're not going to have the investment to bring triple a exclusive titles to the headset and if you're looking if you go to the store and you see the same price headset and one of them plays resident evil 4 and san andreas and the other one doesn't i mean i think i think that's going to be an easy choice but I, I like that you know it gives people an option because i don't even think did they even sell the quest in china i remember when uh the quest one came out uh, i got a friend that's in uh malaysia area kind of thing and uh he said they didn't sell them there but i i i, mean, I don't know that was that was a while ago too but uh i i just think that you know with with this eye tracking thing that's where the future of vr is and that's what i super want to see and you know that that's the that's the thing with the quest the quest 3 that i'm super excited to be like yes give me this eye tracking thing because that's one of the biggest issues with tracking anyways and it's akin to the 3DS, and I've mentioned the 3DS again, but when 3DS first came out, you would position it perfectly in the middle of you to see the 3D. And then they came out with the like thing that actually tracked where your face was on the 3DS uh, Pro or whatever it was. And I feel like this is the same kind of deal where anyone that's been having a blurry image playing VR, this fixes it. And for some people, getting the headset to fit perfectly to do that can be a challenge and be comfortable at the same time. I think that this is huge win in that regard i just don't the whole the whole outside of uh china thing it's i honestly wonder if it's like a supply issue and so i looked it up real quick and the quest 2 is not officially available in china although there are even stores there that sell imported units they've brought in i we should really get someone from china on the podcast somehow at some point because some things are saying that that a lot of people there use chinese branded uh vr and era headsets from like Huawei and stuff like it's so weird to think that there's you know in in America it's like Oculus HTC or PSVR has like long time been your only options for headsets and it's weird to hear some other names we've never heard of but yeah yeah it's not officially available to the question the eye tracking thing doing the IPD mm-hmm. for you sounds really really cool that's that's the most yeah exciting and that is thing the enterprise about. edition which they have now that's said. Awesome. They're only going to sell to businesses. <laughs> they are having a pretty low price of like 900 euros, mm. but that's the enterprise okay. edition only gets sold to businesses. I don't know how they differentiate that. Like, can a consumer just not buy one? Or do you have to like, maybe you have to mass order these. Maybe it's like you can't buy less than four at a time or something. So obviously that would be pretty much businesses mm. only. Mm. I don't know. The Pico is an interesting headset. And as, as it's not in America, you don't hear us talk about it that much, but I would love to get my hands on one. Their controllers actually look a lot like PSVR 2's new upcoming controllers. And it's, there are a lot of fi- facts and figures. They're saying, that their face tracking is going to have like 52 points of tracking they're going to have their it's going to be able to like track your mouth and your eyes and do a really good job because a lot of these cameras so far have been kind of rudimentary cameras that have been used for the tracking inside of headsets and so this thing might be the most realistic facial expression it might catch those little muscle movements and stuff in your face that really sell the experience to someone i i really hope that at some point they just announce that they're gonna come to america and fight the good fight alongside uh, meta of trying to sell headsets at really good prices to consumers because that's when the race with VR will get more exciting. We've been in this monopoly of meta for a while here and it's it's stagnated mm. the conversation too much about what's the next cool mm. headset because it's like it's been Quest 2 we've been recommending for like two years now to everyone. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's get well, some competition out there. We have another news piece here that is exciting for PC users. Uh, so Moss Book 2 is finally coming to PC as of October 20th. So it's now available on Steam VR. Very exciting for PC users who haven't um, had access to this yet. And the cost is $30. And there's also a bundle that has both Moss and Moss Book 2 for $42 on Steam. So that's 15% savings. Uh, pretty sweet. Um, especially for those that have never 
played uh, the Moss games at all. So yeah, it was a surprise launch. They didn't know it was coming to PC. It was really weird because when Moss 2 was first come out, they were only talking about PSVR. And then it came out on PSVR and Quest. And for a long time, PC just kind of got left hung out to dry. And now all of a sudden they just like dropped it. Surprise, it's out. Here's a bundle. Here's the price. And I mean, PC has kind of felt like for a while they've been getting stiffed because for a long time there, it was like the first quest wasn't powerful enough. So everybody was still developing all these cool games for PC. And now PC doesn't get the kind of exclusives it used to at all. They've missed out on some of the ones Meta's paid for. So at least now it's so weird that we're having this conversation that now, oh, PC finally got the game that PSVR and Quest got forever ago. Like, what a switch. Well, I remember I remember on... On like another news piece thing where we talked about the game for whatever reason, I forget what it was. I remember being like, "Oh, you know, it's it's coming out for a PC too," and you looked it up, and no word on that. So it's definitely a surprise, but we'll definitely have to talk about this game uh, more when we get to that section, down yeah, the VR game section. Yeah, we've got uh, plenty but, to talk about. <laughs> for oh, sure. I de- definitely, definitely do. Uh, but uh, the last news piece I got here is there's apparently now. 1,457 apps available for the quest via App Lab. And honestly, I, I've, I've probably played a lot of them. Man, <laughs> you have. Uh, but uh, I've, I've, def- I've definitely covered, I think, I, I think I've covered like 300 <laughs> of them so far. Not like on the channel, but I've like played at least 300 of them. That being said, you know, when looking at that number, uh, there's one app that is literally made by the Dyson company that does the hair straightener things. That is just you playing with the hair straightener things. <laughs> So, you know, if 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 we're gonna if we're gonna actually say how many oh, real things there are gosh. in there, maybe you maybe you do that number in half. But either way, you know, for a product that's only been on the store shelves for like App Lab's been only out for what, like a year? I mean, that's a gigantic number of things and I mean a lot of those things are free, so yeah. It really sells the headset right there if you think about it. Um, yeah. I wonder how many of those have come mm-hmm. to the Oculus store though. <laughs> Three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. It's so rare for you. But like you said, even though they say this is three times as many as on the Quest Store. Yeah, like you said, a lot of these are little experiences, little demos, little something to show off a product or something, promote it. So yeah, this isn't all full on games, but that is a staggering number to be out. I think about like the PSVR itself, there was, you know, weird things like that, too. And I, I would download or buy everything that came out every Tuesday for the first year of the PSVR's life. And the numbers were never even close to that. So that's it's huge for the industry as a whole that it shows that all these companies are interested in it, mm-hmm. uh, even if they make with just a hair straightening app. But it's I think it just shows that it's starting to be taken more seriously. And as we speak about VR, it's not <laughs> like when we started this podcast and people really didn't believe yet. You know, <laughs> I think every VR is in everything. I see it commercials. We talk about all the time everywhere. We're, we're getting. Yeah, there, finally. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got to talk about games. We've also got to talk about the Quest Pro. But before we do, we got to tell you one last time, Mysterian products. If you don't know their universal VR headset stands, they're RGB. You can match them up to your gaming setup. Get that extra bit of light somewhere on your desk. You were missing it before. If you haven't checked them out yet, go to HysterianProducts.com. Code full dive one word will save you five dollars off any order nineteen ninety nine or more on their actual website. And I'm excited. I played Moss Book One, didn't quite finish it, so I haven't moved on <laughs> to two yet. Lip, but you've been playing two. You're going to tell us about it. So I I got Moss Book One uh, farther down the line because I was a little bit concerned when it was like okay, it's forty dollar game, but it was only like. I heard like three hours long, uh, which I may have been like four hours. I'm not too, too sure. But when I bought Moss One, it had the extended version. So it had all the extended content in there. They did these updates where they added a couple hours of extra content. And uh, so when I, I played through the whole game, I loved it. It was just super fantastic game. But then, you know, the second one comes and I'm I'm not really playing the PSVR these days as much. And I just didn't feel like I wanted the visual downgrade in any way playing on a quest too. So when I found out, okay, it actually did come out for steam. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I need to play this. And I got lucky. Luckily I got given a code by uh, another content creator. who just had a bunch of extras. He got sent and, uh, and I put about an hour into this and it was off putting nice. because like this, this game, if you don't know what Moss is, Moss is very much this mm. third person action puzzle game. It's kind of like Zelda, but more linear based. And it basically has this book concept in the gameplay design where you start on one side and then you're 
doing whatever, fighting enemies or doing puzzles to get to the other side. And just it's like flipping a page of a book. And that's sort of the way they do the level design in that regard. And, you know, you have a sword and you have a few special abilities. In this one, they've added a more they've had a few more things where you can actually like use your VR hands to do things, because most of the time you're just using the analog stick to move the character and your hands are down at your side. You don't even I mean, a lot of this game is very much like you could totally play this with a controller. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, they've being the second game being, you know, now we're not on PlayStation VR as much because it was designed for PlayStation VR, the original title. Uh, we have this sort of two hands thing, but it uh, it basically feels like with this game, if you've played the first game and they have added these things, but if you played the first game, this feels like the exact same game again. And maybe <laughs> that's just the hour I spent, but I mm. being as excited as I was about this game, I would say that graphically it looked really, really cool to see it on PC VR. And, you know, that was that was a super awesome thing. And story is awesome. Voice acting again, awesome. All the things like it's and even gameplay wise is awesome. But it's like I think for me when I played Moss Book One, I was new to VR, so it meant a lot more. But now I'm like, you know, it's mm-hmm. simple action puzzle game, simple combat that I've already done before. I've already played a whole game of the same combat, the same enemies, and it, you know they had a mm-hmm. couple new things. But it feels like 1.5, not necessarily two. And I know in the in the trailer, it shows this crazy big mech mm-hmm. guy that you have mm-hmm. to hit with the, the some sort of hammer thing. And I haven't unlocked the hammer yet. Maybe, you know, maybe it's sort of tutorialing me in right now. But I did spend an hour playing it and nothing I played in that hour really felt that much new. There was, you know, there was new types of puzzles, but I, I ended up, you know, at the end of it being like, ah, I didn't, I don't really care that much. I, you know, and and. You know, maybe that was the case with some people for the first game. You said you didn't even mm. finish the first game, right, Jay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it Moss is it's it's not a bad game, but I have this theory that Moss is one of those games that if you ask someone before you played Moss, what were other games you played or how much time had you spent in VR before you played Moss? I could pretty well guess what they're going to say as to how much they liked or didn't like Moss. It's one of those games, if it was one of your first ones in VR, you didn't play Astrobot first, you might love mm. Moss. But the fact that I played Astrobot first and then I tried to play Moss, it just didn't have the magic for me that Astrobot did. And I mm. wanted it to have that. And the whole time I was just kind of comparing it to Astrobot and it made it less of a fun experience. And the combat in one was probably the part that was the most, I felt like you had like the same three moves you used over and over again, kind of to fight. It was more of a puzzle game than an action game for sure. But there was nothing about it. The The cuteness of the character and the somewhat, the storyline was the only thing that even kept me going at all. But as far as the game standing on its own mechanics, I was too used to VR. I was too experienced VR to be wowed over and over again by just, oh, I'm in this beautiful environment of VR. And I just felt like the game couldn't stand on its own. I hoped book two would have add a lot of new mechanics and make it really worth it for me to go check out. Mm-hmm. And it has a very positive review on Steam. So I know this is going to ruffle some feathers saying it, but for me, it just didn't capture any magic that made me want to keep playing it. Mm-hmm. I remember I played Moss 1 for like five minutes, I think, because... There were like all these positive reviews and everyone was like, Moss is amazing. And I was like, I played it for a little bit. I was like, okay, okay. Like, it's kind of cool. And I thought about maybe going back to it, but I never did because it wasn't, didn't grab me enough to go back to it. So yeah, I think, I think that you probably hit the nail on the head there where it's like, it was an early VR game. Mm -hmm. If you hadn't played a lot of stuff, it'd be really exciting. You kind of have that nostalgia but even with, you know, book two not adding too much to it, it might not quite be enough. It it just it just feels like you should be doing more with your actual real life hands. And as I'm playing it, I'm like, what makes this need to even be mm-hmm. in VR? Mm-hmm. Do I even want this to be in VR? Can, can we just port this to, you know, regular consoles and give me regular controller support? Maybe that'll just be better anyways. I mean, it, 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 and there was, there was, like I said, there was a couple really cool things that the game does. And one of the things that I, I didn't mention, but I have to have to make this known, the character animations that they've done for the mouse are so perfect. There's so many things where he's dancing around, he's doing all this cool things. And in the first game, there's notoriously, he asks for high fives at certain moments and they've doubled up on that for this one. So it's a cute little character. It's just at the end of the day, it's 
push this block <laughs> here, jump here. You know, all the puzzles are easy and all the <laughs> everything's just simple and easy. Yeah, they they rely on the cuteness of Quill. She Quill's cute, but at some point, yeah. like how far does that take the game? If you love puzzle <laughs> games, that also just might help. I usually like puzzle games, but the puzzles in Moss just didn't really speak to me. So I I would love for some of you out there to come on the discord just tell me why i'm wrong about moss because for some reason it just didn't capture the magic like there was this adventure time game how so random that i'm bringing this up mm. on gear vr that i played back in the day that was like actually the first kind of 3d platformer kind of game that i ever played in vr and i had an absolute blast playing that game and i kind of wonder if a lot of the people who played moss early are kind of the same way like i can't imagine that game would stand up now i wish i could find it and play it because it's hard to imagine it would be any good now. But there's something about that first 3D platform where you play mm-hmm. in VR. It's like, oh my gosh, I can look all around. These environments are huge. The, I can see three-dimensionally when I try and jump mm-hmm. my character to the next platform. So it actually matters. I can actually see the distance. All those things are really magical for your first game. And I just think maybe Moss is relying a little bit on mm-hmm. how cool VR is and not making the most sound solid game on its own. I went to LA this mm-hmm. last week to get to try the Quest Pro early. There is a video on the JBrat channel if you really want to see the whole, my first kind of impressions, talking about stuff. All That's there for everyone out there. But I thought here on the podcast, it'd be kind of cool to have like a little Q&A with the two of you because I haven't really had that much time even since I got back to talk with Nat about it. So like curiosities, questions, anything that you think people are wondering out there, throw them at me and I'll just kind of answer them as we go. So maybe just take turns. Lip, what are you wondering about the Quest Pro? So, so when I watched your video immediately the first thing that I wanted to ask about was your experience wearing the headset, like a Quest headset without a proper facial interface. I know you had those clip on things for Mm -hmm. the light things, light blockers, and you said you didn't need them in the video. But Mm -hmm. I'm because because if people don't know, uh, I wear my headset without the facial interface. I take it right off. I have a halo strap and then I have another studio form deluxe head strap that kind of holds it in place. So everything's it's basically shaped exactly like the Quest Pro is doing it. Mm-hmm. And I love it that way. But, you know, and, and the thing is, when you're doing it that way, you can have the lenses like way closer to you because you don't have this padding thing blocking your thing. So you get a way bigger image in your eyes. What what did you think about that? And do you, do you feel like the facial interface is like a requirement for every headset? Or are you okay not having it. I got to say, this was probably my biggest surprise because like most people, the biggest point of contention with the Quest Pro, why doesn't he have a facial interface? Like you need one to be immersed. And I thought that was going to be the first thing I was going to be like, why is this here? Because I normally hate light bleed in any of my headsets. But because of the way it utilizes pass through, you can see the world around you through the headset. But then you have this edge where you can see outside the headset and you see the same world. You see the color, you see the light and everything lined up perfectly. So if there was a pole that I saw in the real world, I saw the bottom of it through the headset. It was in the exact same place. Nothing was like misaligned or off. So instead of it feeling like I had a field of view outside of a headset that was wrong, it felt like it was right. That was a really weird surprise for me. It just felt like instead of having a 110 degree field of view, I had a 220 degree field Mm -hmm. of view as a human and just some of it wasn't able to have augmented reality or whatever. Now, I didn't get to play any actual like immersive mm. VR games, but I did do some apps that that took me took the mixed reality out of it and took me completely into the app. And I still enjoyed mm. not having the facial interface as weird as that was, because I was in kind of a small space. Jeremy, the meta employee, John, our cameraman editor were both mm. around me in this small space. And not once was I ever worried I was going to hit someone. I was going to hit the desk next to me or the wall because that little bit of peripheral vision always kept me grounded on where I was in the room and what was around me. So when I actually tried putting the blinders on, I was like, you know what? I don't want these blinders. I took them off. I, like, I don't want these. The only time I would, mm-hmm. I feel like the facial interface might be completely necessary for this headset would be if you were going to play a really intense horror game and you wanted total darkness. But I was shocked at how much I didn't care about the lack of a facial interface. I was just saying, I just wanted to like specify since we were still talking about the facial interface thing. Do you think if you were playing Beat Saber that without that facial interface, the headset wouldn't become too loose on your head? <laughs> now there's 
hold out a little bit here for some of you listening for my actual review when I get my own headset in because I have a whole other concern about Beat Saber I haven't brought up yet. But as far as just the actual headset, I noticed even in one like I was talking to Jeremy, I was nodding my head naturally, you know, active listening, whatever you want to call it. I noticed that the headset was kind of bouncy. Like I noticed that it was bouncing around because it didn't have anything on my face to kind of hold it down. And I probably could have tightened the head strap Mm. up a little bit, but there was definitely a lot more bounce than I expected with it going up and down to where I think for a game like Beat Saber, if the facial interface adds any pressure that would actually help hold it in place, it might be wise for that Mm. reason. The other thing that I'm bringing up though about Beat Saber, why I said hold out, I noticed that these controllers on the Quest Pro, they use cameras just like the headset to track the room around you instead of infrared lighting. And I felt like when I moved them quickly, sometimes for a random reason, I wasn't positive they kept up completely with how quickly I moved them. Because you think about a camera watching an infrared light can see that infrared light Mm. moving all over really quickly. But if you take a camera yourself and you try to shake it all over the room, is it going to be able to still see the room around you and track it? Or is it just Mm going to be a blurry mess? So I got to do some intense testing the minute I get this headset. It beats Saber Expert Plus is even possible with these controllers. Ooh, mm-hmm. that's very interesting. I'm yeah. sure people will be uh, very interested to hear about that because a lot of people, you know, Beat Saber is their main thing they do in VR. So I was wondering too, so you said you played a couple of like immersive VR things. Um, can you tell us more about those and how those were and why it was fine that you could still see the real world. So I went through mostly creative apps, uh, different ones where you were either sketching something or you were moving around a 3D model of a world and you could shoot yourself into that world immersive and look up and around. And it blocks, the headset blocks enough of your view. It's big enough. These pancake lenses really allow you to see into it. Like it seems like you can really move your eyes quite a bit where with the Quest, you kind of feel like you have to turn your head all the time with the quest pro i noticed even in the footage looking back at myself i was moving my eyes a lot more and not necessarily mm-hmm. turning my head a drastic amount so the field of view although field of view is very subjective and they give different measurements and it doesn't seem like it's that much bigger i felt like the field of view was surprisingly bigger in the quest pro than what i'm used to in a quest 2. and so when i was in something immersive i just got to where my mind just kind of blocked out the outside Mm -hmm. world in my peripheral vision i didn't really even think about the fact that it was there anymore unless it was mapping oh there's a desk there don't punch that there's this here it kind of kept all that in my brain but for some reason Mm -hmm. that i was immersed enough with how big the lenses were in front of my face that i could Mm -hmm. look into the game and there was there was just no need and i was a pretty big worrier i was kind of a hater about the, the full facial interface thing so don't get me wrong This is not Mm -hmm. someone that's like, oh, I don't care anyways. I was like, I I don't like this idea. And I was pretty quickly turned around because I just realized I don't really need it. And I, in the video, you can see me, I have the blinders on, I take them off. I was like, I don't, I don't want these actually. I, I, I'd gotten used to being able to kind Mm -hmm. of perceive my own world, but also do it. And I liked that. So I, it was probably the biggest shocker to me. I loved that part of the video. I was like, (laughs) oh, he's. He's joined. He's he's come to my reason. He's come to my thought process. Finally, <laughs> the, world, the world is seeing this facial, like, this facial interfaceless headset is a real possibility. It it not only is it possible, but it makes so many of the problems of VR go away. The fogging, <laughs> the sweatiness, the dangers of your play space having an object in it you could hit or a kid walking mm. into your play space. Like mm. so many things fall off when you get rid of the facial interface that maybe the few things that we're worrying about aren't actually as big of a deal as we thought, especially as the field of views get wider and we're able to see more and that gap is a little smaller. Maybe facial interfaces will actually fall off, which would be pretty wild to think that that's possible. Yeah. Definitely, definitely feel like mm. the facial interfaces have one Weird. big thing. And it's like that beat saber thing where if you're bouncing around, it will move. And it's mm-hmm. like, I can tighten that all I want. And I can I've, I'm, I've got it set pretty good. But like, I just don't make huge juddery movements. But I mean, like there's games you're doing like running or like exercising types of things. And you no way you're do, like, I don't think you could do exercise types app like type apps on the MetaQuest Pro yeah. because it doesn't stay. On, it's not going to stay in your head the way you need it to. And maybe well, I'm um, find out tomorrow. <laughs> Let you know on oof. that one. 
that's gonna be yeah. pretty awesome so i do have i do have another question though <laughs> how does the audio sound on the MetaQuest pro compared to the quest 2 now of course i didn't do the most intense apps but Ooh. i will tell you a couple things that i saw from Good what question. i did they did a smart thing so now that the head strap is incorporated into the quest pro the battery is in the back it's a flexible battery that runs through it they have all of this real estate to use so where the quest has the your speakers are practically by your eyes and they're aimed back towards your ears. Now they have this entire head strap. They've relocated the speakers right above your ears on the head strap way back there. I didn't get to test anything bass heavy. I'll find that out tomorrow as well. I'll give you all information on that. But as far as directional audio and clarity, it was much better just because it was so much closer to your ears. And I, I kind of suspect they might've used better drivers just because this thing is so expensive. I think they did a better job, but it was, it was, it sounds right there. I didn't even have to have it at max volume when I was trying to hear what was happening in something. And I was at a convention. I mean, it was loud, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of noise going on. I think that they've done a much better job. That's not saying it's great though, because much better from the Quest U stock audio, anything's much better. In my opinion, I hate that audio, but so far I would say it's a big step up. I will have more to report back once I do some real gaming and it's some Beat Saber, some Pistol Whip, even some Demio. You know, there's all these things that really rely on audio. <laughs> was there, did you have a chance to experience any like 3D audio or how that is in the Quest Pro? Not really. The The audio I heard in games and experience, uh, I was all kind of creative modeling apps and stuff that I did. So some of them did have some audio or there was some talking and tutorials and stuff, but I definitely didn't get to, you know, see a vase drop on the right side of the room and see how it sounded to me. I didn't get that experience yet. So that will have to come once I really test this thing. So I'm curious, when you put on the headset, did you immediately notice like a resolution difference? Because I know when I had the Quest 1 and got the Quest 2, at first, I was like, is this better? Is this better? But then then I went inside an actual game that utilized the power of the Quest 2. And I was like, oh, this is this is a huge, huge difference. I remember playing Gorn on the, the Quest 1 and being like, oh, you know, this this looks awesome. You know, then I put it on the Quest 2 and I was like, whoa, this looks really crisp. Did you get that feeling when you put on the Pro? There was only one app that I think kind of tested it. I actually had it linked up to a PC and did a modeling app that I got to look at. And through there, I was like, this seems clear. It seems better. Like you said, it's not like the, oh my gosh, night and day, but I didn't get to really try an app that would give me that night and day experience. But the thing that really just absolutely killed it with the Quest Pro, the freaking sweet spot is huge on those lenses. I didn't even hardly adjust the IPD at all. Because no matter what IPD it was in, whether it was right or wrong, the sweet spot was so big, kind of like the PSVR, that I was like, I can see everything. Like, I can turn my eyes and look. Around. I think that also is another reason I said earlier with the Quest 2, you turn your head more than moving your eyes. Because in the Quest 2, the sweet spot's so small that if you turn your eyes to the side, it can get blurry pretty quick on you. Especially if, like me, your IPD isn't perfectly matched with the settings that come with the Quest. But... In that Quest Pro, it was so big that it seemed like everything was just clear and easy to look at all around, which makes it hard to really judge until I have time to really spend with it. Was it that much higher resolution? I think it is from their claims, from the way they've designed it between the pancake lenses, the higher pixel density, and the, the better pixels right in the center that they've put in to make things look nicer. I think we'll be surprised when we can get in like Red Matter 2 or something, but it, it looked good. I also was wondering, are all of the, I don't know if you were able to ask this question or not, are all of the games that are available like on the Quest Store and stuff, will those all be available on the Quest Pro? From reports so far, they've said, yeah, they're all going to be available. And it's not surprising because the controllers, although they don't have the tracking rings, they have the same button layout. They have the same mapping. So that part should be really easy. And the UI, everything, it feels if you've been in a Quest 2 a lot, you're going to navigate a Quest Pro like a pro. It just feels exactly the same. You press the same button, the same menu pops up, the same button to go to your apps, the same layout. It, it feels just like you're in a slightly different model of a Quest 2 when you're in it. So yeah, I don't see any reason that any game shouldn't work perfectly for it. Besides the, my worry about the controller tracking. So I'm curious, cause this is definitely, you know, if anyone, well, if, if you're on your YouTube channel, you have a yeah. big theme, accessories, accessories, accessories. I even see in the video, you mm -hmm. make a little joke like, oh, how much can I 
test the tension on this thing. You know, <laughs> don't want to don't want to break the uh, convention headset. But uh, what do you think is going to happen with accessories for this? Do you think there's going to be a market for accessories based on the time you played with it already, or is it just perfect out of the box? I think there will be a much smaller market for several reasons. One, the head strap isn't really swappable and Quest 2 head straps were the biggest pain in the neck and they were probably the biggest selling item of all. The controllers, it's just going to be hard to make accessories for them because there's not a lot of attachment points anymore like there used to be for the Quest. But I will say I already ordered a set of desk tech grips that I saw on Amazon. They're supposed to come tomorrow. So I'm going to be reviewing Quest Pro controller grips first thing out of the box. But and the Quest Pro comes with a charging dock. The controllers slip in and charge and the headset drops on and charges. So most of the headset accessories that are out there aren't available. But I will say the first thing I think everyone's going to want to buy will probably be the Bobo VR universal battery dock that takes their head strap battery and allows you to put it on anything because I didn't get to test this, of course, but they're claiming this headset's going to have a one to two hours of battery life. And that would mean that if I can take my Bobo VR batteries and swap them out on this thing as much as I want to to continue playing, that's an immediate need that needs to be filled right out the gates. Yes. <laughs> yes. Lip has his Bobo VR, mm. VR battery right at hand yes. here. Yeah, it's it's so a necessity. True. I Yes, Bobo. I hope we they make love a black you. edition maybe for the Quest Pro just because it would look a lot better. So that thing's going to look really funky on it. But Those I'm going to find a way first so thing great. to attach my universal battery dock on there. I kind of wanted to hear about the controllers and how I know they have that thing where you can like turn it around and then use it as like a stylus or whatever. I didn't get to try the stylus, but from holding the controllers, I can tell you a couple things about that. One thing that's really interesting, the controllers have dual haptic motors in them, one at the top and one at the bottom. So now if you like were to hit something like with a tennis racket, you'll feel the haptics coming from the top. Or if you were to, you know, swing a sword from underhanded style, you might feel the haptics more strongly from the bottom, which is great for gaming. But I think the reason they actually did it was because the stylus is at the bottom. So to add haptics to the bottom of the controller would make sense if you turn it around to use the stylus, it's still going to have haptics that feel like they're coming from the pen tip rather than from the back of the pen because that wouldn't make any sense. And holding the controller like it would have a stylus in it. Did you ever have one of those markers when you were a kid that had like 30 or it's a pen, but had like 36 different colors in it and you could click them down one at a time. It kind of felt like that. It felt like having a really chunky pen in your hand because it was just way too thick to be like a normal tiny pen. But it, it, you still had the precision that you have of your typical two or three fingers away. You hold a pencil just with this much bigger object. So I felt like, OK, it's decent. I A pen accessory for true creative 3D artists might be better. But for now, at least, you know, this this would work. And the nice thing about the stylus that they did was it's made in such a way that it's supposed to be able to put on real surfaces. So you can map out a dry erase board or a table or something, and you can actually touch a physical table with this and have that real feedback you have in real life of writing with a pen, that tactile feel is going to be a lot more natural to try and draw something quickly than trying to draw in the air. And then you're dealing with three dimensionality and all that. It's, it is a smart idea. I like it. That said, it's kind of a weird way you detach the controller wrist straps to put the stylus in. And I somehow accidentally unlocked mine during the demo and just full on dropped a controller to the ground because because I thought my wrist strap is attached. So I'm just going to let go of my controller and drop it. And it just slammed Ooh. to the ground. And these new controllers are heavy. They're a lot heavier than the stock Quest 2 controllers. Oh. And that thing hit hard. And I was just like, whoopsie. Oh, no. <laughs> so this question might be something that we'll have to uh, revisit after you've had some time to play with the headset more on your own. <laughs> but I've heard reports that you can use the Quest Pro controllers with the Quest 2. From your experience, do you think there'd be any benefit to that? I mean, you have this stylus pen thing or, is, you know, that's just sort of, you know, a dumb, a dumb idea to do that. So you're correct that it works. They're $300 for a set of these controllers. So that's another quest almost. Uh, until I can get into Beat Saber and see if the tracking on these things really works, I would say I, I don't see a lot of value in it. Maybe if you really want those haptics or there's a new pressure pad where you can, if you squeeze the controller, it reacts to the pressure if you're in certain apps that are meant for that. Maybe between those things, some people would really like that. Or the fact that like there are certain case uses where having a controller track itself makes sense. 
So certain apps where you need to like reach behind you to do something or reach down, it'd be nice to not have to have the headset rely on always seeing the controllers. But those cases are so few and far between that I think it will be a very specialized group of people that buy these controllers for their Quest 2 versus just springing for the Quest Pro. Like, yeah, that's a lot. $1,500 is a ton of money. But if you're spending $300 and you already spent $500 on a Quest 2, like, where is that line where you say, maybe it's worth it for all the other features this gives me? <laughs> yeah, 300 bucks is a lot. I know that, like, Mr. Tass, who has supported us by sending us a lot of accessories and stuff, went for those controllers because, you know, to design accessories for them and stuff. He needed that and wasn't looking to spring $1,500 for the whole thing. So that that case does make sense. But I think mm. there are very few cases where it's going to make sense to do that. I want to hear a little more about the you were saying if you like there's like pressure things or if you squeeze the controller, it does stuff. So it's it's not the whole controller, but now where the Quest 2 controller where you normally rest your thumbs and it's flat. That is now a beveled edge. So it kind of slopes down away from your hand a little bit. So there weren't any apps that utilized it that I got to try. But basically, Jeremy told me if you were like in an app where you were holding an egg and you were to squeeze that thumb spot, you'd see the egg crack or something. So kind of similar to the Valve Index idea, but it's not the whole entire controller. It's really just that weird beveled thumb spot. So I feel like it's going to be kind of a weird thing to use that in games, but it's cool that it's there. I'm super curious about this and we already like tested it a little bit. But we had a huge issue with the Elite strap breaking. <laughs> Do you think that these MetaQuest Pro headsets are going to break because there's no way to fix it if it breaks? Uh, I, I wondered that when I was looking at it because the strap itself does kind of look like an Elite strap. It it looks like they kind of use the same design. Uh, the plastic, I've got to hope that it's different. I did a tiny bit of bending at the convention on it just to kind of see how it reacted. And it did have some flexibility to it. That said, the problem is you can't really know because with the elite straps, you, as I, as I tried, I tried to break one and it wouldn't break no matter what I did to it. It just didn't break. But other people who've had theirs break, it sat in a drawer for four weeks. They didn't touch it. And it just broke out of nowhere. It was like the plastic dried out over time. It wasn't an issue with how strong they made it. It was like the resin dried out, something went wrong and it just snapped. And so I hope that that, I hope that they fix that, or at least they're going to guarantee them. But yeah, if it breaks, you're not just getting sent a new head strap. You have to send the whole thing in for repair because the head strap has the battery. It has wires running through it. It's all there. I don't know. I'm worried about that too, because you can't really fix it. <laughs> Do you see yourself or do you see the benefit for, I know this is like more marketed toward like professional use at like, you know, using it for your job and stuff like that. Having experienced it for, you know, a few hours, could you see this being a thing that businesses adopt and use or like what kind of businesses would use that that is a good question because they're really saying this is for businesses and i'm like what businesses want this if you were a 3d modeler if you're someone who designs cars in the way they're shaped if you're someone who already uses some sort of ar or vr in your everyday use in your business this is probably the next logical headset to get totally makes sense but i'm not convinced yet that a business that's never touched AR or VR is going to see any value in this until they, you know, develop some interactive training that that uses it or something. It's it's going to be one of those things that businesses are still going to be taking kind of a risk to jump on this for a while. And maybe there's some behind the scenes stuff that Meta is going to do with that. They might approach a big company and say, hey, we'll help you design a training in this if you commit to, you know, buying so many of these to use for training after we'll show you, you know, at that point, you'll never have to train someone again with the live human being. It'll pay for itself with three employees mm -hmm. hired. Maybe stuff like that will be happening behind the scenes. But right now, it's hard to imagine a company that doesn't really think about VR thinking, oh, well, this is going to change our lives. Like there's not enough compelling information or trailers or case uses that show that this is going to change their business, that they're going to jump on it yet. So I, I think Meta is still playing the long game here with this. This isn't going to suddenly sell a million headsets tomorrow, but maybe like Microsoft, maybe they'll land some sort of military mm -hmm. contract with this thing and that will really give mm -hmm. it the legs. Mm -hmm. So I'm super curious then mm -hmm. with the apps, do you think, and this is something I guess it's hard to, you know, really say based on the time you spent, but do you think they're going to make any apps that 
just only work on the Quest Pro that, you know, like I could see, you know, maybe with like applications, but even like games would maybe be games that only are they even allowed to do that? Like App Lab? I think there will be some like tech demo stuff that uses the color pass through and uses the 3D depth and uses the face tracking. Some of the stuff the Quest Pro only has. I think there will be some things to showcase that. But I don't see any reason that any developer right now would develop something only for the Quest Pro because it's going to be so few people that own it when the Quest 2, there's millions and millions of them. So I I don't think there'd be any reason. Plus, Meta doesn't want this to be a gaming headset. They're not going to go pay GTA Mm. San Andreas to make it just for the Quest Pro. If anything, maybe they're going to do that for the Quest 3. But the only things there might be some creative apps that only land on the Quest Pro. and We won't ever hear about them again because we don't do that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it kind of would make sense that like Gravity Sketch that I tried or Archeo, that these apps migrate more to that because those are the people that are going to be using these headsets. But maybe. I mean, Workplace has already bought the Quest 2. They may never spring for a Quest Pro either. So it's hard to speculate, but I really don't. I don't see that there'd be any reason to make anything exclusive for it ever. Was there anything else, Lip? I, I there was there was one last thing, and I I'm sure I could find this super I don't easy know myself. If I have any but other questions uh, right now. it charges with this like stand really... thing. Mm-hmm. Does it also have a spot so I can just charge it with USB C? There's USB C port on the side, pretty much in this okay. no close to the same spot as the old one. But the nice thing is the charging dock doesn't utilize that. The charging dock doesn't have some adapter that plugs in. It it sets in at the bottom. There's contact points at the bottom that charge it, and the controllers set in on the sides and they charge from there. So it if I get a Bobo VR battery pack to work with this thing, I can just leave it on. And I can drop it in its dock to charge the dock and I can use the batteries on the side without ever interfering with each other. So that's really exciting, I think. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the uh, the full headset. Yeah, I can't wait to get it tomorrow. Nice. Really, really dive in. Uh, and if you're out there and you have questions about it you want answered, come join the Discord server. Yeah. Get in there, hit me with some questions. If you put them in the Q&A section, that means we're going to answer them on the podcast. But if you just put them in general and at jbrat, I'm going to answer myself there as quick as I can. So make sure and do that. And if you've been loving this podcast for a long time and you want to help fund all these wild places we go and things we do, you can go on Patreon and support us directly. It means a lot that those of you that are. And if you're listening, come to YouTube and see this Quest Pro footage. And if you're already watching it here, but you missed an episode and you're like, I'm never going to catch up. Take us on the go on Spotify or anywhere else and get caught up on the ones you're behind on. But we want to say thank you so much for coming out and listening. And remember, if it's time, you've been thinking about VR, just dive on in. Bye.